And I've had an, one time this dude tried to encourage me before I went on stage, and he was like, yeah, man, let the Lord lose you. It's like, I'm going to lose my salvation during. Doug's was much more encouraging, and I appreciate him for that. Don't want to lose my salvation while I'm preaching about salvation. So today, uh, today that's what we want to do. We want to take a look at Jesus and see what Jesus has to say to us in his word. Is that cool? Is that cool? Okay. So today we want to start out talking about valuables, valuables, or specifically just our valuable possessions. The dictionary defines valuable as just something that has a lot of worth to you. So I think we can say without fail that all of us have things that are valuable to us. Is that right? Valuable. They may not be valuables like jewelry and stuff that costs a lot of money, but nevertheless, we have stuff that's valuable to us, right? It may just be valuable to us because we worked really hard to get it. Or it may be valuable to us because maybe we did spend a lot of money on it. Or maybe it's valuable to us for many other reasons, but nevertheless, we have stuff that's valuable to us, correct? Yeah, think about what's valuable to you at this moment. Possessions that are valuable to you. Not valuable in an idolatrous way, but just things that have value. When I was thinking of this myself, I was trying to think, what are some things that I own that have any kind of value to me? I have a special kind of value to me. I was like, if somebody broke in my house, if they took like some chairs or the dining room table, I don't really care that much. If they even took my TV, I mean, I might not be excited, but I probably, my life wouldn't end over that. But I was thinking, what's something that I value a lot? And I was thinking, my books. I have this library with a lot of books that I'm very excited about. Not just because I got a lot of books, so it does look tight. That's not why I'm excited about it. <laughs> I value those books because I value reading, and I value the, the value of reading. So I was like, if somebody broke in my house and took my books, there would be some problems. I wouldn't even need to call the police because I promised I would chase them down and preach the gospel to him. I would chase him down and preach the gospel to him. Y'all tripping. I saw y'all faces. I would chase him down and preach the gospel to him. But what is that thing for you? What's most valuable to you? The thing we can understand about valuables is no matter how valuable something is to us, there's always something more valuable that we would take in exchange. Right? I'm excited about my books. They're very valuable to me. But if PBU, the school I go to, is like, hey, trip, man, you're the lucky winner. You get our library. I will part with them books in a matter of seconds. Because they got every book I have and more, right? That's just a principle with things that are valuable. The more valuable always trumps the less valuable. Is that right? Very true. So many of us maybe can't think of things that would make us part with the things that are valuable to us, but I can. If it's more valuable, we will. So the, the text we're going to look at today deals with a lot of this kind of stuff, trading the less valuable for the more valuable. So if y'all can turn with me to Matthew chapter 13, I would appreciate it. Verse 44. What we're going to look at today will have to do most with fixing the way that we view things. The way that we view things is very, very, very important. The way we view things decides the way we'll come to certain stuff, our paradigm, how things will affect us. We're going to fix the way we view something. And in my prayer is that the response would be rejoicing among God's people. Matthew 13, verse 44. We're going to look at two short parables. The parable of the hidden treasure and the parable of the two pearls. And both of these parables together drive home the point that the kingdom of heaven is of infinite value. 
the kingdom of heaven is of infinite value. If you walk away with something, please walk away with that. Now, I don't want to be foolish and just assume that everybody in this room understands what we mean by the kingdom of God. So is it okay if I explain the kingdom of God briefly? The kingdom of God, to, to explain it, I want to begin at creation. Of course, we have God. He created everything, right? God, who's the creator, rightfully has authority over the world that he created, right? He rightfully has authority. He's the ruler of it. He's the king of it, right? God makes everything good. He even makes some humans, and all of them are in his world where he's the ruler. But then a problem happens when they disobey him, right? They disobey the king, and that is a problem. So when they disobey the king, the ruler of the place, his rule is disrupted. Even though God is still the ruler, he's still in control, he gives them permission to disrupt his rule, but his rule is disrupted, right? So from the beginning, when his rule was disrupted with the fall, he told them right then, he told the serpent, the seed of the woman is going to crush the seed of the serpent, right? So God decided from the very beginning that he planned to restore his rule in full. He had already planned to restore his rule in full. They rebelled, the chaos broke out, his rule was disrupted. The way we think of kingdoms now is a little different than how they think of. We usually think of a king who rules over a realm or a place, and that's the kingdom or maybe the people. But the way the kingdom is meant in the Bible, during Jesus' time, kingdom meant the rule or the reign itself. It didn't mean the realm, it didn't mean the people that he ruled over, but the reign itself. Y'all see what I'm saying? Can we clear on that? It means the reign itself. So God had a plan from the very beginning to restore that reign in full that had been disrupted by Adam and Eve and the rest of us. God's the perfect king and some little humans are trying to mess everything up. God plans to restore everything perfectly and to destroy his enemies that his rule would be restored. So this reign of God, this rule of God, this kingdom of God, as it's spoken about in the New Testament, is specifically a salvific rule or a redemptive rule. Because God is planning to restore things to his rule. You see what I'm saying? Because God is, he rules over everything, right? He's sovereign. There's nothing that's not under his rule. But this specific salvific redemptive rule where God plans to restore everything perfectly under his rule. We talk about the Lord Jesus coming back and smashing all of his enemies. That's the kingdom coming. That's the kingdom. So Jesus, when Jesus steps on the scene, you know, they were expecting a Messiah to come through, wreck shot, make everything right. They were expecting this king, but he, he did things a little differently. He came. He was, John the Baptist prepared the way for him, saying, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, right? Repent for the kingdom is at hand. Jesus comes. He's preaching the gospel of the kingdom. In Matthew chapter 5, he, he has a sermon on the mount giving the ethics of the kingdom. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the poor in spirit. So forth and so on. He continues in chapter 13, the chapter that we're in. We, he talks a whole lot about the kingdom. Gives a lot of parables. A whole lot of parables. Talks about proper responses to the kingdom. And he even talks about the angels weeding out the sons of the kingdom from the sons of the evil one. So at this point, he's talking to his disciples. His disciples have to be wondering, okay, you said some not cool stuff about the sons of the evil one. How can we be sons of the kingdom? Because he says right before, the Son of Man will send his angels and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun 
in the kingdom of their father. And I don't know about y'all, but I would much rather shine like the sun in the kingdom of my father than be thrown into the fiery furnace. So at this point, his disciples are wondering, how can I be part of this kingdom of God? So we're going to talk about this kingdom of God today. Matthew 13, 44. Let's read. Let's read. Y'all with me? The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and he buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. Sold all that he had and bought it. So we see that both of these two parables follow a pattern, right? They talk about a man, right? They talk about the man. They talk about the man's finding. And then they talk about the man's response to what he found. So we're going to walk through both of them. We're just going to look at those three things. We're going to look at the man. We're going to look at the man's finding. And we're going to look at the man's response to what he found. Is that cool? Excellent. Excellent. And I'll tell you now that I believe these passages are a description of conversion. Jesus is talking about how people respond to the kingdom. So we'll look at why. And they show the kingdom is the valuable prize and how we should respond. So let's talk about the first one, the treasure in the field. The treasure in the field. If we think about this from our cultural eyes as Jesus tells this story, we might think that this is a dumb story. If it was a dude on the corner over there telling a story about some dude who found some buried treasure, we probably have some problems with it. You'd probably be booing and boo, don't nobody find buried treasure? We're not familiar with cats finding buried treasure. Otherwise, it'd be cement all dug up all in the streets because cats are greedy. Cats don't find buried treasure today. Has any of y'all found buried treasure? Let me know and hook me up with that map if you have. But let's not make that mistake. During Jesus' day, they didn't have a bank up the street. There's no part of the Gospels that says Jesus took a left on broad and went to Bank of America. That's not in there. There's no National Bank of Israel. You don't go make a deposit, right? So when they had something valuable, instead of doing that, they buried it in the ground, right? They buried it in the ground because it was their treasure because they didn't want nobody to mess with it. So when people would bury stuff in the ground, if they died off, then it was pretty much free reign. Whoever got the property after them had it. Or if you stumbled upon it, you could have it. So that's kind of where we at with that. I know that sounds kind of crazy. Sounds kind of crazy. They buried it in the ground, though. So there was no Bank of America, right? Buried it in the ground, no ATMs, no overdraft protection fees. Amen. (laughs) No overdraft protection fees. Jesus compares his treasure that he found to the kingdom of heaven. So let's talk about the man. A lot of people think this man, they found it because of the cultural context, could have just been a field worker who was working for some man with a big field. So he's doing his thing, he stumbles over a treasure, and he finds it. So this would be a little bit like a janitor, right, who works late at night, cleaning in a bathroom, he's cleaning up the toilet, and he finds a big bag of a million dollars behind the toilet. You know them bags with money that be on cartoons? He found that with a million dollars in it. Wouldn't that be crazy if this dude found a million dollars behind the toilet? That's kind of like what happened with this dude. He found a treasure hidden in a field. Now that's the man's finding. It must be his lucky day because he ain't even searching and he found a buried treasure. So think about the scenario. What if you had a friend who called you up one day, was like, hey man, I was walking home today and I found something incredible. 
He'd be like, oh, for real, what'd you find? A, a quarter? It ain't much that you find that's tight on the ground. But I found something incredible, and it was so incredible that I sold every single thing I owned. He said, I went straight home. I sold my car. I don't know why he'd be walking if he had a car. Just forgive that. I sold my car. I sold my house. I sold my shirts. I sold my pants. sold my socks and my shoes. Matter of fact, I went in the crib. I sold my TV. I sold all of my books. I sold all of my DVDs. I sold my kitchen table. I sold my chairs. I, I sold my soap. That's going to be a problem. Sold my soap, I sold my toothbrush, sold my toothpaste. I cleaned out my entire house because it is one thing that I found. I just went back to get that. What would your response be to that person? You would probably have one of two responses. Number one, this fool is crazy. Number two, what in the world did you find? There must have been something incredible that you found. You were willing to give up everything for that one thing. That's an incredible thing. I want to put this in perspective. So as we discussed earlier, all of us have something that is important to us, that's valuable to us. This man was no different. This man who found this, in a, he had worked hard for certain things, just like we've worked hard for the things that we have, right? Worked hard for it, took time to obtain it. They have sentimental value to him. He has things that his mother maybe gave him, that his brothers gave him. All of this stuff that he's acquired over his life, he's willing in a matter of seconds to give all of it up just to get something random he found. Wouldn't that be crazy if it happened? It doesn't make any sense at all. So in an instant, when this man saw this treasure, nothing else mattered anymore. Nothing that he had acquired for the rest of his life ever mattered anymore. In an instant, his treasure became trash. In an instant, he didn't need it anymore because he got what he needed. It's the treasure hidden in the field. It was kind of like the Matrix. It was one world that Neo lived in. Then a scary black dude came up to him and was like, you're the one, right? And then instantly, he saw the rest of the world differently, right? In an instant, everything changed for him. He didn't see anything the same anymore because of something that he saw after that. His treasure became trash. And what we see, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, then in his joy, he goes and sells everything. Are y'all catching that? In his joy. This isn't a reluctant selling of all of his possessions. He's not upset about this. He's not even thinking about the stuff he used to have. He's not clinging to his old pictures. He's not clinging to the stuff at his house. He's not clinging to all the car or whatever he's gained. He said, in his joy, he goes and sells. He's not upset about this. He's excited because he's found something more valuable. Found something more valuable than everything else. Now, all of us have experienced some kind of joy, right? Some kind of joy. But most of the time, it's fleeting, and it definitely would not be worth us selling everything we owned to enjoy it, correct? Can you think of anything in the universe that you'd be willing to sell everything for? Can you think of anything in the entire universe you'd be willing to sell everything for? I can't. And anybody who does really is a fool because we are needy creatures. We have lots of needs, right? We need to eat. We need shelter, right? We need stuff to do. We need a job. We need transportation. We need clothes. We need all of these things. We need to take showers that do soda soap. 
We need to brush our teeth. We are needy creatures. We have a whole lot of needs. So to sell everything you have that you got to meet those needs just to get that one thing is stupid. Because you'll have one thing, but you'll be missing everything else, right? So can you think of anything that that would be a wise decision with? I can't. Unless you found something that meets every single one of those needs. That is the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven, it's not a bad idea for you to sell everything you own in order to obtain it because it meets every single one of your needs. We will have no needs that aren't met if we forsake everything else for the kingdom of heaven. We found that thing. So, finding, he covered it up in his joy. He goes and sells. That's his response. He found it, found the treasure response. He goes, sells, buys. That's what he does. He goes, sells all that he has so he can buy that field. So what in the world does this have to do with conversion? What does this kingdom of heaven found this treasure? What does this little parable have to do with conversion? Jesus is saying that when a man is confronted with the kingdom of heaven, this is the right response. Because he's been going around preaching this gospel of the kingdom and different people have responded different ways. He gave this parable of the seeds and how all the people, different people responded. And his disciples are wondering, Jesus, how do we become sons of the kingdom and we don't want to be sons of the evil one. What's the proper response? This is the proper response. Joy in selling everything that you own. That's how we obtain the kingdom. Jesus is the king who is inviting us into a new kingdom. All of us are born like this man with our own treasures, with our own lives, with our own perspectives, and Jesus steps on the scene and he says, all of that has been a lie, basically. He confronts us with the kingdom and he says, this is your treasure. Turn from that stuff and enjoy this. And enjoy this. Jesus is the king who calls us into a new kingdom, a kingdom with a perfect ruler and a perfect reign. And when we get a right view of the perfect kingdom, the kingdom we're currently living in begins to look drastically different. Like Neo. Like the man. When we meet the new king in an instant, all of our treasures become trash. Think about this. The things that you used to treasure before you ran into Jesus who offered you something far better. I know for me, I was seeking fulfillment in the dumbest of things. And I was enslaved to that stuff. I was a fool I could not see. Then I ran into Jesus, who showed me something I'd never seen before. He confronted me with his kingdom of God and said, everything that you've been living has been a lie, it's been a deceit, and it's a product of the fall. You're in rebellion. This is the kingdom as it's supposed to be lived. I'm restoring things to how they were supposed to be. Now, do you want to follow me and be a part of this kingdom? I said, gladly. I don't need that foolishness because my treasure now became trash. And my new treasure was Jesus. That's what should happen when we're confronted with the kingdom of God. So can you imagine, this is kind of like what happened to the man, can you imagine holding in your hand a pile of gold, precious pearls and diamonds and a bunch of stuff like that? Looking up and seeing something beautiful, then looking back down and seeing a, a half-eaten burger and a snotty Kleenex. That's what happened to this man. 
He saw everything in one light. He looked up and he saw an infinite treasure and everything was trash now. He said, I don't need the snotty Kleenex and a half-eaten burger. I want the treasure. And that's what's supposed to happen when we're confronted with the kingdom of God. Treasure becomes trash. And just like the man, it should not be a reluctant prying our hands off of the stuff we used to have. Right? You don't have to reluctantly pry your hands off of something that you see as trash. You're glad to let it go. Not just because, but in light of what you've seen and what you can have now. The kingdom of heaven, the greatest treasure in all of the universe. The kingdom of heaven. So this is what it should have been like for us. Many of us say that we're believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. Many of us say we've turned and we've trusted Jesus. We're part of this new kingdom. But did joy happen when your conversion occurred? Is this what your conversion looked like? Were you glad? Did you see Jesus? Salvation happens when we see the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Did you see Jesus and did everything change for you? I'm not talking about the next day you stopped everything you was doing and it was all good. Of course, that happens for none of us. But did your perspective on the whole entire world change because Jesus is that treasure? And was there joy? Joy always accompanies biblical salvation. If there's no joy, you haven't seen Jesus. The in this room said, I've never experienced this kind of joy. That means you haven't seen him. Because if you see him, you'll be overjoyed and you will rejoice in the Lord Jesus Christ. Then there are some of us who say, when I first trusted Jesus, when I was first confronted with the kingdom of God, there was joy. But then as time went on, joy kind of dwindled down. Can anybody relate to that? Joy isn't what it was when we first trusted the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, if you look in the parable, this man's joy was not based on the life he led after he found the treasure. This man's joy was based on the treasure. So many of us, we I don't know what we expect when we first trust Jesus, but somebody lied to us because as soon as things aren't perfect, we lose our joy. And it's because we began to look at ourselves, we began to look at our circumstances, we began to look at everything around us except the treasure. When you look at jacked up stuff, you'll feel jacked up. When you look at depressing stuff, you'll feel depressed, but when you look at the treasure, you will feel joy. Jesus is our treasure, his kingdom is our treasure, and not all the other stuff. So if you're in this room and you say, my joy has dwindled, the problem is you're not looking at Jesus. You're not focusing on the kingdom because that's something to be overjoyed about. Please, brothers and sisters, look at the kingdom. So this that we looked at is the right response to the kingdom. Does everybody respond this way? No. Matthew 19, 16. Turn there for me. Matthew 19, verse 16. So as Jesus goes around, he's preaching the gospel of the kingdom. He's confronting people with the kingdom. He's saying, repent, for the kingdom is at hand. He's making a big fuss. Everybody wants to know who this dude is. He's teaching with authority. So the rich young man rolls up on him. Verse 16, and behold, a man came up to him saying, teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? This dude already messed up. Verse 17, and he said to him, why do you ask me about what is good? There's only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. He said to him, which ones? And Jesus said, 
You shall not commit murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your mother and father. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And the young man said to him, All these I have kept. What do I still lack? Let's do the stripping. Verse 21, Jesus said to him, If you would be perfect, go sell what you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. So you see what happens with the young man? He comes to Jesus. He says, what must I do to enter your kingdom? You're preaching this gospel of the kingdom. I want part of it. I kept all the commandments. No, you didn't. I kept all the commandments. I did all of that stuff. What next? Jesus knows exactly where this man is at. He gets to his heart and says, sell all your possessions. And what does he do? He walks away sorrowful because his possessions were great. And he saw his possessions as more valuable than the kingdom that Jesus was offering. Everybody doesn't respond rightly. We preach the gospel of the kingdom day after day after day and people turn and reject the Lord Jesus Christ because they think that the life that they've been leading is better than life in the kingdom. They like themselves as king. They don't want Jesus as king. They want to be enslaved to stuff. But the people of God should be grateful that God has freed us from slavery to things that are lesser than us. People are slaves to green paper. That's ridiculous. People are slaves to other people, a shiny metal. What is that? Jesus has opened our eyes and we get life in the kingdom. And I'm grateful that he did a work in my heart, that he opened the eyes of my heart to see Jesus because everything else changed after that. Please, my prayers that everything has changed or will change for you. That's the improper response to the kingdom that we saw with the rich young ruler. Please do not make the mistake of the rich young ruler. He was deceived. Because this dude chose a life of, a full life of maybe 70 or 80 years of pleasure. And he pieced out pleasures at his right hand forevermore. This dude lost his mind. We have the opportunity for pleasures forevermore in the kingdom of God. Is anybody else excited about that? I'm extremely excited about that. Some of us for too long have been infatuated with things that are not very valuable, lesser things than us, things that are even greater than us but are not worthy of our worship. Maybe it's a dude, maybe it's a female, maybe it's church life, maybe it's your image, maybe it's your job, maybe it's your work, maybe it's even your family. These things are not our treasures. And when we live for them, we dishonor Jesus and we're not living as he meant for us to live. Forsake all things and follow Jesus. Don't let the world deceive you with their shiny trash. That's what it is, it's shiny trash. Don't spend your life chasing after shiny trash. So the man in our first parable responded in a way that illustrated a beautiful fact, which I'm going to say probably a hundred times, so please don't get tired of it because I need us to get this because it will affect our entire lives. Nothing is more valuable than the kingdom of God. Nothing is more valuable than the kingdom of God. All right, well, let's look at the second parable, the pearl of great value. Y'all still got it? Okay. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value 
went and sold all that he had and bought it. Now the first man very possibly could have been a field hand. Maybe not. I mean, we don't know. We don't know what Jesus had in mind when he told the story. But this man is nothing like that. He's a merchant. This dude is rich. This dude got that paper. He's a baller. All of that good stuff. He was in search of fine pearls. So during that time, pearls were of great value, kind of like diamonds in our day, right? Diamonds are of great value. So this dude is kind of like a dude that goes around the world looking for great diamonds. So let's try to paint the picture. Let's say this man, let's talk about his finding. Let's say this man is in search of great diamonds. He's traveled the whole world, all over Africa, all over Asia, all over Australia, all over wherever, looking for great diamonds. And during his excursion, while he's been gone from home, he's found thousands upon thousands upon thousands of incredible diamonds. Right? So this dude gets to one location, and he sees one diamond, and he sells all of the thousands that he's already found to get that one diamond. That's a little strange. Everything for the one diamond. So I can imagine him calling his wife. Hello? Hey, boo. What's going on? You, you coming home? He's like, nah, but I just wanted to tell you I did it. She's like, what'd you do, boo? I sold all the diamonds. She's like, really? I'm excited. What did you get for it? Another diamond. I thought you had thousands of diamonds. I did, but I sold them all for one. And she's probably on the other side, text messaging a homegirl looking for new living arrangements. Because this dude is tripping, right? He sold all of the diamonds he had gotten for the one that's kind of like this man. He's seen diamond after beautiful diamond after beautiful diamond after beautiful diamond, and he comes across one that changes his view of all of them. And in an instant, his treasure became trash. The other pearls became pointless. He didn't care about them anymore. He wanted that one, right? That's incredible. So, of course, his wife was thinking one of two things. One, this fool is crazy. Two, what in the world kind of pearl must that have been? To make this man throw away the riches he had awaiting him just for that one pearl. It says something incredible about the pearl. That's the man's response. So what happened to him? Many pearls he'd seen came across one that changed his whole perspective, and it was the only one that mattered to him after this point. This man's response is kind of like what happens with a lot of people with marriage. Yeah, I got marriage illustrations right now. This is kind of like what happens with a lot of people with marriage. A lot of dudes spend their whole lives in pursuit of women. A lot of dudes do that. Spend their whole life in pursuit of women, trying to find that woman. So it's a lot of dudes who be talking to like five, six girls at a time. So a lot of dudes who've seen woman after woman after woman, they got some long lineup of women that they like. And then they meet that one, right? Then they meet that one who they think is the one, and they're willing to forsake all the rest of them. This isn't a reluctant, nah, I still want all of y'all. But he's, he, he's seen the one, and he's like, this is all I need now. I don't need the rest of these women. This is the woman. I'm not trying to say you should sell women for her. That's not what I'm saying. That's... <laughs> I'm not pushing it that hard. That's, that wasn't what I was going for. I was just saying that when he met the one, his heart was pried away from the rest of them. His heart was detached from the rest of the women because he found the woman. 
This dude's heart was detached from the rest of the pearls because he found the pearl. And in an instant, treasure became trash. That's an incredible thing. That's an incredible thing. So would it make the woman look good if he was like, yeah, I mean, I really wanted all six of them, but I felt pressured, so I just stuck with the one. How would that look for the woman? She'd be like, peace. Probably peace him out. But that's not what he did. Just like the first man, after he saw this pearl, he gladly gave up the rest of them to get the one because it was that incredible. And that makes the treasure look incredible. It doesn't make Jesus look incredible if there's no joy accompanied by this. What makes Jesus look incredible is I've seen him. He's my treasure. I'm done with everything else because he is far better than all of that. That needs to be our response to the kingdom. That has to be our response to the kingdom because the way that we value other stuff always says something about the value of Jesus. The way that we value stuff always says something about Jesus. Because people who've never seen anything better than green paper still worship it. But people who've seen the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ are done with that because it's shiny trash. The Lord is not glorified when you seek shiny trash. And it makes it look like he's nothing special. That's part of the problem. People look in and they see Jesus doesn't look like anything special. This dude's heart was detached. So do we ever see this kind of response? We saw the rich young ruler who had the wrong response. He walked away sorrowful because he had great possessions and he saw them as more valuable than the kingdom of God. Do we ever see the proper response to the kingdom of God? And yes, we do. Earlier in Matthew, Jesus calls his disciples. They immediately drop what they were doing and follow Jesus. They abandon their families, their lives, their livelihood, all to follow Jesus. That's what has to be done. Abandoning of everything else to follow Jesus and trusting that he'll provide for the rest of that. We also see this with Paul in Philippians chapter 3. You can turn there if you want. Philippians chapter 3. He says this in verse 7. Paul says, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Paul is a man who forsook everything for the sake of following Jesus. This is the proper response when we're confronted with the kingdom of God. Not the rich man who walked away sorrowful, but Paul who says, I had a lot of stuff that I treasured a lot, but after seeing Jesus, for the sake of pursuing Jesus, for the sake of having Jesus, I'm willing to count those things and lost and can't count knowing Christ as my only gain. I'm blown away by that. Christ is far more valuable, and knowing Christ is the primary goal of all kingdom citizens. May that be your primary goal, knowing Christ, because it's far better than anything else. Far better than anything else. So once again, what does this have to do with conversion? 
This is exactly what should happen when we meet the king. When we meet the king, this is exactly what should happen. We've seen this dude, the merchant, was in search of fine pearls. So he'd seen many a great pearl and came upon the one. For some of us, we've searched far and wide for fulfillment in different ways. Some of us have searched far and wide for satisfaction in relationships. Some of us have searched far and wide for satisfaction in feeling accepted. Some of us have searched far and wide for satisfaction in whatever it may be. But your response when you found, find Jesus, the only one who truly satisfies, when you meet one who says, I truly satisfy you, I'm the living water, you'll never even thirst again, I will meet all of your needs. Why would I mess around with something that fails me time and time again? Why would I? I wouldn't. I would gladly release my hand to pursue the things that will actually meet my needs. And his name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. That's what it should look like. So I have to answer the question, is this teaching a works-based salvation then? That you sell everything you have so you can get this. Is that what this is? Can you buy the kingdom of God? Is that what this passage is teaching or what I'm saying is teaching? Not by any means. This is exactly what should happen when we meet the king. So blown away by his beauty that our former pursuits seem foolish, willing to abandon them all to follow Christ. Salvation is by grace through faith, and this is what faith looks like. This is what faith looks like. What do we believe in God to be? What do we believe in Jesus to be? Not just another dude who had some wise teachings. We're believing him to be the son of God and the infinite treasure of the universe. So when we believe him to be that, we don't believe the other things to be what we used to believe them to be. It's impossible to believe in Jesus as who he's supposed to be and continue to pursue all the other things like you used to. This is what faith looks like. This is what it looks like. If we drink from him, we'll never thirst again. And if we believe in him, our hearts will be detached from the things that they used to be attached to. This is the principle that this is teaching. Their hearts were detached from the other things after they saw the kingdom. Right? After they found the treasure, their hearts were detached. The man, after he found that one wife, his heart was detached from the rest. The dude, after he found that one diamond, his heart was detached from the rest. He didn't need him anymore because that's all that he wanted. So, when we meet Jesus, the proper response is hearts being detached from other things. And we see very clearly that it's not enough just to know that Jesus is valuable. It's not enough just to assent to Jesus being valuable. You can't just say, I agree, he's pretty valuable, life goes on as normal. That is not the kind of faith that the Bible is interested in. The Bible's interested in a faith that says, I believe Jesus to be who he is, therefore I follow him. It's not enough to know. It would be dumb if they knew the treasure was worth giving up everything and they walked away and kept the other stuff. Wouldn't that be stupid? That would be incredibly stupid. Biblical faith includes knowledge, it includes agreeance to the facts, but it also includes trusting in those facts. That's the kind of faith that the Bible values, trusting in those facts, and this is what that faith looks like. So we've talked over and over again, kingdom of heaven is of infinite value. What is so great about this kingdom? Why is it of infinite value? Why is it worth giving my life up for? Jesus' life his actions and his words are all in line with the kingdom. His sermons were about kingdom ethics. 
his healings that he went around and did, or a testimony to the kingdom being at hand. And he gives the offer to all who will receive him, deliver us from the kingdom of darkness. Colossians 1.13 says, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. All this happens with trusting and following Jesus. Deliverance from the kingdom of darkness. He talks to his disciples early in chapter 13 about them having the secrets of the kingdom. They have eyes to see. Things that people longed for. Eyes to see. They long for eyes to see. He's delivered us from the domain of darkness. Transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have the redemption, the forgiveness of sins. One of the beauties of being a citizen of the kingdom of God is your sins not being counted against you. The Lord Jesus came, confronts us with his kingdom where we can now have a relationship with God. Though we've sinned against him terribly and though he is a king and he is coming to restore things. He has planned to do this. From the beginning he said, I'm destroying my enemies and I'm restoring things to my perfect rule. So if you're not with me, you're against me and you're my enemy. In the kingdom of God, those who are citizens are friends of God. And your sins will not be held against you. That's a beautiful truth. Your sins not being held against you because of what the Lord Jesus Christ has done. God gives us the opportunity to be redeemed as he makes all things new. So many things have gone terribly wrong in us that he plans to correct. All of our sin. He's going to correct. He's progressively doing it. And in the future kingdom, it will be totally eradicated. Disease is totally eradicated. All sin, all of his enemies, all fallenness is totally eradicated in those who are citizens of the kingdom. God saves us from false treasures and consequences of them. He gives us eyes to see and behold true treasure. Frees us from slavery. Gives us the grace to join with him in an amazing work of spreading the kingdom of God. The church are kingdom agents who God works through, right? God works through us to restore his kingdom, and he'll do it finally. And we get to have fellowship, not with any old king, not the king of England, right? Not the king of the south, not the king of pop. We have the opportunity to fellowship with the king of kings. The king over every king. There have been a lot of kings time and time and time again. Jesus is the king of them all. Jesus rules over all of them, and we get to reside with him. No king is a match for him. No opposition can realistically stand against him. We don't have a king who's weak, who doesn't know how to do stuff. Our king will smash any opposition easily. Most kingdoms are short-lived, and then if they like them, they have to hope that they like the next one, not us. We serve a king who reigns forever. We serve a king who reigns perfectly forever. Psalm 145, 13. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout all generations. We don't have to worry about corrupt rule. The Lord is faithful in all his words and kind in all of his work. The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. That's the king that we serve. We serve a king who strengthens the weak. We serve a king who doesn't hold his just hold his kingdom together. We serve a king who holds the whole universe together by the word of his power. That's the king that we serve. That's the king we have opportunity to be in fellowship with and to be led by. We serve a king who wasn't pleased with the way the people in his kingdom were living. So we got his hands dirty and he stepped down and he showed us how it was done. 
We serve a king who came and preached the gospel of the kingdom, calling men to repentance, that they can have this kingdom. We serve a king who not only preached to his people, we serve a king who died for his people. We serve a king who came down, got his hands dirty, showed us how it was done, preached the gospel, and died for his people. He said, my people cannot do this for themselves. They will be defeated by sin and death. I will take it on for them. Not only that, he defeated all of our enemies for us. There are no enemies that we have to fight on our own because the king defeated all of them for us. He defeated sin for us. He defeated death for us. He defeated Satan for us. He defeated evil for us. Death has no sting because our king defeated it. Welcome to the kingdom of God. He beat sin, he beat death, he beat the devil, then he rose. We serve a king who died and rose from the dead. I don't serve a king who's going to die and he'll just have a nice legacy and you can go see a museum for him. I serve a king who's living, he rose from the dead. That's the king that we serve. I'm grateful to be a part of his kingdom. We serve a king who not only died, rose from the dead, and ascended, then he sent his spirit to do the same. He sent another one of the same to guide us. Our king loves us. Our king drew us to himself by his spirit that he sent in his place, who preached the gospel to our hearts and showed us Jesus. We serve a glorious king. Our king loves us dearly. Our king loves us so much. If you don't know the king loves you, no, the king loves you. Our king protects us. Our king is coming back for us. Our king is coming back to defeat our enemies on our behalf. And he will complete the job he began on the cross. That, brothers and sisters, is a king that's worth following. And I'm excited to be a citizen in the kingdom of God. I'm excited. It's the greatest treasure I've ever seen. And Jesus is worth dropping everything to follow. Worth dropping everything to follow. Sadly, there are many of us who are still pursuing trash with great diligence. We love trash, and we run after it, and we just want our trash. What in the world does trash have in comparison to this king that we just talked about? Nothing at all. It's all trash. C.S. Lewis said, this is a very popular quote, but I just love it so much that I have to read it. It says, we're half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like a kid who wants to make mud pies in the slums because they can't understand what it means to have a holiday at the sea. We're far too easily pleased. He said, we're making mud pies in the slums instead of a holiday at the sea because we're just too easily pleased and we can't look beyond trash to see the treasure. Do you remember when treasure turned to trash for you? Do you remember a day when you saw the glory of the Lord Jesus and it all changed? I'm praying that you do remember that day. Because if you can never remember Jesus being a treasure for you and giving you great joy, you may want to think about whether or not you possess the kingdom of God. Because this is what conversion looks like. And in addition to that, for those of us who claim to be the sons of God, sons and daughters of God, we have to ask ourselves, if there was a parable that was about us, what would it say about the treasure that we're seeking? Now, if we look at these men, it says something incredible about the treasure because they forsook all to follow it. If there was a story about your life, 
and the way that you treasure the kingdom, what in the world would that say about the kingdom? Many of us are caught up in so many distractions. Maybe there was a time when we saw Jesus and there was great joy, but we got kind of pulled away, right? We relaxed. We lost our focus. We're not striving after it. And that says nothing good about the king. That makes the king look like the trash and the other stuff look like the treasure. We are agents of the kingdom. We are the ones that are supposed to show the world what it looks like to have this treasure. We're the ones that will be loving one another to show them a picture of what the king kingdom looks like. We're supposed to be serving one another to give them a picture of what the kingdom looks like. We're supposed to be pursuing Jesus to show them that we treasure our king. This is what life in the kingdom looks like. They don't desire the kingdom because the kingdom looks like trash. Because we don't value it as we should. We must value the kingdom as we should. The men in the story made the kingdom look magnificent. How do you make the kingdom look? I said this once, but I just feel the need to say it again. Some of us have lost our joy. But the truth is, the kingdom didn't stop being the treasure, and Jesus didn't get any less precious. He's still there, and he's still an incredible king. And there's a need for us to go back and gaze our eyes upon the beauty of Jesus. That's what we need to do. Gaze our eyes upon the beauty of Jesus and the privilege to be part of his kingdom. The kingdom of God is a privilege to be a part of. That's a treasure. So in closing, I want to say that there may be somebody, I'm sure there's somebody in this room who doesn't know Jesus. And I want to say that God has been gracious to you. It's like Jesus was gracious in coming down, preaching the gospel of his kingdom so people could be a part of it. God was gracious to you in bringing you where the gospel of the kingdom was preached. And today, just like the rich young man, God is confronting you with his kingdom. And he's saying this kingdom is available to you if you'll trust in Jesus. If you'll see the treasure of Jesus, if you'll see the glory of Jesus and trust that he's better than all of that stuff, God has been very gracious to you. So we talked about these responses to the kingdom of God. God has given you a chance right now to respond to the kingdom of God. You can respond by walking away sorrowful like the rich man who liked his possessions more than the king of kings. Or you can respond like Paul who said, I count everything as rubbish because I want to gain Christ. Please respond to the kingdom rightly. It's of infinite value. So whatever you're clinging to, whatever you've been pursuing, it is worth giving up for the sake of the kingdom without fail. Without fail. Let's pray.